All right, well, good morning. I don't think they knew it, but a lot of the points that came out of that song are actually in my sermon here, so I feel like if we just sing that song again, then I can sit down and we can move on. While we're here, I just might take a moment and just say a big thank you to the Anderson family. Uh, last night we had the men's get-together, barbecue, whatever, uh, whatever we decided to call it. And their family did a fantastic job. So thank you very much uh, for preparing that. I know a lot of us were blessed from that. Dave, thank you for your testimony, uh, for your openness and just your willingness to, uh, to share a bit of yourself with us. Thank you also to everybody that came out yesterday and uh, got involved in the working bee. If you haven't noticed, the church is a different color. There used to be a lot of blue over here. Now it's looking far more white. But thank you. Thank you for coming out. We're going to have another one uh, next weekend. And it's good to see the body coming together and, and working here together. This week, or not this week, but last week, uh, something profound happened in my life. I aged dramatically. Many of you probably wear these. This is a new experience for me. It changed my perspective on many things. The unfortunate thing with these particular ones is while I can read, I cannot see you. It distorts my perspective. It's great for reading, but not so great for viewing you. You know, if I was to ask you this morning to... Describe a particular house to me. If I was to walk around and ask each one of you individually about that house, I would get a myriad of different answers. Some of you would describe it to me from the external, looking at the house. You would talk about the shape of the house, maybe talk about what it is made out of. Is it bricks or is it timber or is it a mixture of both? And you describe the external. You maybe describe the shape of that house. Maybe you talk about the yard. Some of you would take me inside the house mentally and you would talk to me about the rooms within that house how large they are, how they flow together, how you get to various rooms. Maybe you have a particular focus within the house from your experience that is your key point. Maybe for you, the kitchen is the center of the home and everything else revolves around the kitchen. So for you, you would describe for me the kitchen. For me personally, when I look at a house, when I talk about a house, all I care about is the garage and the workshop. The rest of it is just to make sure that the garage and the workshop can continue to stand up. We all have a different perspective on the house. If I was to ask you about a person, Describe for me an individual, it starts to complicate it a little bit more. No longer can we just define someone by what they look like, we have to also take into account their personality. 
So maybe you would say to me, that person is tall, that person is short, that person is large, that person has massive biceps, a little bit like myself, that person is balding or has long hair or whatever it is. We might describe those physical features, but we also need to consider some of their character traits. That person is kind. That person is hardworking. That person is deliberate in their actions. Or maybe that person is proud and self-centered. We can start to describe that person. But what if this morning I was to ask you to describe God? I think we could put some words to that. But I think the reality is we would all be a little bit fearful of that. We could reference back to maybe some times in Sunday school or, or times from when someone has spoken behind the pulpit and we could say things like God is great and God is love and God is all-knowing and, and, and God is everywhere and, and God knows all things and, and all of these things, we can say all of these things. But my fear this morning is that like me, while I was taught those things in Sunday school and from behind the pulpit, and while we sing about the many attributes of God, while we know the theory, we know the doctrine, the stark reality is that we tend to have this perception of God that is not how God describes himself. As the created ones, we are prone to have a contrary conception of God. We're quick to think that because he is so holy, he is severe and sour in his disposition towards us as sinners, and that maybe he can't bear us. We project onto God our skewed and our distorted instincts about how the world works. Let me give you a little bit of an example. In our human nature, in our experience, we summarize that a wealthier person, someone with, with money, the more the money they have, the more they tend to look down on the poor. Now, that may not be accurate, but often that is the way that we perceive, we view a wealthy person. In the same way, we view a beautiful person, someone who is stunning. God has given them all the attributes of beauty, and we think to ourselves that because that person is so beautiful, they must look down on the rest of us who are not quite so beautiful. We take those world-shaped thoughts and we apply them to God. Without realizing what we are doing, we quietly assume that one so high and so exalted as God must have corresponding difficulty drawing near to one who is so despicable and so unclean as me.
sure God came close to us in the bodily form of Jesus. But we silently agree that he holds his nose and he holds us potentially at distance. This risen Christ, after all, is the one whom God has highly exalted, at whose name every knee shall one day bow in submission. This is the one whose eyes are like a flaming fire and whose voice is like the roar of many waters and who has sharp two-edged swords coming out of his mouth and whose face is like the sun shining in full strength. In other words, this is one so unspeakably brilliant that we cannot adequately describe his magnificence in all the words, in all the languages on earth. And so why would he look at me? Why would he have mercy on me? Why can I come to him and ask in my time of need, what Right do I have? Our problem is that we have a world-shaped and sin-tainted perspective of God. Ultimately, we define God by the parameters and by the distinctions that we see in the world around us. But as we view God through the lens of Scripture, as we view God in the person of Jesus Christ, we see something different in the way that he describes himself compared to the way that we view him through human eyes. God's desire for us as believers is that we would know him. Have a look this morning with me at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter is one of my favorite books in the Bible. We're not going to spend much time there this morning, but I want you to see this, that God's desire for us is that we as believers know him. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith. Believer, this morning, do you understand that your faith is precious? Do you treat it as such? To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of of God. Grace and peace multiplied through the knowledge of God. Let's keep going. And of Jesus Christ our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God's desire for us 
as believers is that our depth of knowledge is deeper than more than just knowing that there is a God. It needs to be deeper than knowing that, that yes, God saved me. It's got to be more than that. And as we explore Scripture and as we look through particularly 2 Peter, we see knowledge on two different levels. We see a knowledge that is born out of, yes, I can go to the Bible and I can gain advice on what I need to do to deal with different things in my life. And I can gain knowledge about who God is. But then we see this other layer of knowledge. Another layer of knowledge where we learn about God personally. The closer I draw in my relationship with God, the more time I spend in God's Word, the more time I spend in prayer, the more time I spend doing things that God desires for me to do, and I do that in conjunction with that relationship with God, the more I experientially know God. The more that God reveals His heart to me. You see, it can't just be knowledge for the sake of having knowledge. It has to be knowledge because of my relationship with God. It's knowledge born out of a closeness with my Heavenly Father. God's desire for us as believers is to know Him personally. To know Him from experience. Come with me to Exodus this morning. Exodus, and if we're going to understand the heart of God, we need to see how He describes Himself. The Bible, across the width of the Bible, we see many different times where different people describe God, but there's not often where God describes Himself. So here in Exodus, we get to we get to see that we get to see how God describes Himself. Exodus chapter 33 is where we'll start there. Just to add some context, Moses and the people of Israel are, are camped at Mount Horab and they've just had the golden calf incident and now Moses is seeking direction from God. I want you to see this in chapter 33 verse 18. Moses has this moment with God and he asks this question in verse 18. He said, I beseech thee, Show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. God, show me who you are. God, show me your heart. Often we go to God in prayer and we say, God, uh, uh, show me who I am. Show me who you want me to be. God, help me deal with this issue. God, God help that individual. And those are all great, but how often do we go to God and say, God, show me who you are. God, show me your glory. Come down to the next verse, verse 19 with me there. And here we see God's response. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Have a look at that. I will make all my goodness pass before thee. Why didn't he say, I will make all my power visible to you? Why didn't he say, I will make all my greatness 
passed before you. No, 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 no. He says, my goodness. God is a good. Show us his goodness. Let's skip down to chapter 34, a few verses down, verse 5. Chapter 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, and here's God about to describe himself, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. God describes himself as merciful and gracious. He describes himself as long-suffering, as patient. He describes himself as abundant in goodness and truth. Abundance paints this picture of an overflowing. We can never have enough goodness. We can never have enough truth from God. And it is there. It is overflowing. Keeping mercy for thousands, God is never exhausted. His mercy continues on and on and on and on. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But as we see in the next part of the verse there, God takes sin very seriously. And that by no means, and that, by, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. How often do we just come to God and say, God, I want to see you. God, show me who you are. And then we just worship I don't think we do it often enough. I think most of the time when we come to God, we have an agenda. We have a reason for coming to God. We don't come to God just to see God. And I think if we were to grow in our faith and if we were to grow in our relationship with God and if we were to grow in our response to the Holy Spirit, we would desire just to see God and allow Him to show us who He is as opposed to having the world shape our view of God. How we perceive God ultimately determines how much we trust God. And if our perspective of God is wrong, then in the same way that the Israelites created idols to meet the demands of their heart, we do the same thing to God. We shrink Him down to the size of our problems if we do not have a right view of God. But if our perspective of God is as He describes Himself, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness, abundant in truth, forgiving, we will come to Him in full confidence in our time of need, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. 
2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Scripture also provides us with an image of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So how does Jesus describe himself? We've seen how God describes himself, but how does Jesus describe himself? Have a look at a a verse here with me, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. We would have all heard this verse time and time and time again. In fact, there's songs about this verse or these verses. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Eleven twenty-eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now listen to this part because Jesus is about to describe himself. It says, For I am meek and lowly in heart. That's Jesus' description of himself. I am meek, I am gentle, and I am lowly in heart. I am approachable. That's how Jesus describes himself to us. This is the one whose deepest heart is, more than anything else, gentle and humble, approachable. Believers, this is why we need our Bibles. Our natural intuition can only give us a God like ourselves. The God revealed in Scripture deconstructs our preconceived notions and startles us with one of infinitude in His perfections, which is matched by His infinitude in His gentleness and His grace and His mercy. But if we don't have Scripture and if we're not anchored in Scripture, we will never see that. The world will paint the picture for us of who God is. We have to have that anchored relationship with God through the Word or we're missing out. God is not who we perceive Him to be. God is who he says he is. God is not who the world paints him to be. God is who he says he is. In our time of need, when we, as we should, pick up our Bibles, we see that weaved into the very tapestry of Scripture is this overwhelming theme that God will provide out of the abundance and out of the love of his heart. God will provide. Over and over and over again as we read scripture, we see the heart of God towards the weak and the destitute, towards those that will humble themselves and allow him to lift them up. So the question this morning is, how do we approach God in our time of need? How should I come before God in my time of need? I know that God will provide. 
He tells me that in his word and in the relationship I have with him, I know that he will provide, but how should I come before him? The first thing I want you to see this morning is that we need to acknowledge who God is. When I come before him in my time of need, I need to acknowledge who God is. A right perspective of God starts with acknowledging who he is and glorifying him. We read Psalm 34 just a little while ago, but let's go back there again and let's look at a a couple of the verses. Psalm chapter 34, verse 1. Psalm chapter 34, verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from my fears. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the need is, no matter what the time pressure is, my position, my posture must be one of worship, must be one of glorification, it must be one of adoration, it must come before the King of Kings, the one who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, and who is all-gracious, and who is all-merciful, and I must lift him higher. Because if I don't, because if my first point isn't to recognize who God is, my first point will be to recognize what my problem is, and I will lift my problem higher than I will lift God. We need to acknowledge who God is. We need to have a right perspective of God. God tells us who he is throughout scripture and we must come before him acknowledging and trusting that he is not only capable but he desires to meet us at our needs. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Friends, as we put God in his rightful position on the throne of grace, we very quickly realize that what we really need is more of God. And that's something that he will always gladly give. More of himself. Matthew 7 verse 9 says, Oh, what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread... We'll give him a stone. Or if he ask a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them who ask? We can come before God and acknowledge who he is. 
and he will give to those that seek. He will supply our needs. Second thing I want you to see this morning, we need to acknowledge who God is and we need to to come before him and exalt him and lift him higher no matter what the situation is. But we also need to come humbly. We need to come humbly and we need to check our hearts. James 4 verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let not your laughter turn into mourning. Sorry, let your laughter turn into mourning and your joy into heaviness. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. In my time of need, I acknowledge who God is. I glorify him, but I must also understand who I am. I must also check my own heart. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. In my need, I must continually check my heart. We must keep a short account with God. Deal with sin often and decisively. Often our need can seem so great that we elevate it above God. Now understand this this morning, the thing that consumes your mind the most is what you will give your heart to. And what you give your heart to is where you will go to. It's what you will make most important. And the more that you give your heart to anything other than God, the more self-centered and the more selfish your heart becomes. While we don't intend to, we create idols out of our needs. Our posture must be one of worship, one of understanding that our own hearts can be quickly drawn away. And in humility, we must continue to check our own hearts. While we come before God in adoration and in worship, we come before God humbly. The third one I want you to see this morning is that we come before God not just humbly, but we come before God boldly. Now, maybe you would say that doesn't make a lot of sense because humbly and boldly, those two contradict each other. We don't often put boldness and humility in the same space. And modern definitions of the word include things like not frightened of danger, strong, very noticeable. And I think... We would all agree that that's not what's being talked about here. I'm not coming to God in my time of need in that kind of boldness. That would be inappropriate. But look at Hebrews chapter 4 with me. Let's dig a little bit deeper into this because we should come before God boldly, but it needs to be a boldness that is born out of who I am in Christ Not anything else. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. 
Hebrews 4.14, seeing that we have a great high priest that has passed into heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but which in all points tempted like us, like as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us, believer, that's you, let us, therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Boldly. The Greek literally means free of fearless, free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage. The same word in the Greek is literally defined as confidently. Let us come confidently into the throne of grace. So why can I come before God freely and fearlessly? Why can I come before God with confidence? Why can I come before God with cheerful courage? Not because of what I have done, but because what Christ did for me on the cross. I can come before God because of who I am in In Christ, I am accepted by God. It's no longer me fearfully approaching the throne of a royal king in fear that I may have displeased him, in fear that he may cast me out, in fear that maybe I've gone one step too far, maybe I've asked one time too many. No, as a child of God, I now have the opportunity to come into his presence saying, Abba, Father. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There's no greater moment for a father than when his child says, Daddy, There's nothing that will turn my heart. Stop listening, you two. There's nothing that will turn my heart quicker than when one of my children says, Daddy, just that pleading voice turns me to butter. Daddy? And that's how God wants us to come to him. Abba? Father? Look at Galatians. Galatians 4, 6, and because ye are sons. That's you. If you're a believer this morning, you are a son of God because you are sons. God has set forth the spirit of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. As believers, we come before God in humble confidence that he is with us. We should come with a spirit of adoption as children reconciled to our God and Father. We are indeed to come with reverence and with godly fear, but not with terror and stunned amazement. Not as if we were dragged before a great judge or a commanding ruler, but as ones who have been kindly invited to the mercy seat where grace reigns. If you're a believer here this morning, you have been invited to the mercy seat where grace reigns. 
And you have every right to cry, Daddy. Let me give you one more this morning. We need to recognize who God is. We need to come before him humbly. We need to come before him, or we can come before him boldly. Last one this morning is we need to come often. In Exodus 34, we see God describe himself as having mercy for thousands. You cannot exhaust God. You will never come to the end of his mercy. You will never exhaust his grace. You will never overtask his compassion. Come often. Come back to Matthew chapter 11 with me. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. I should have asked you to stay there. Matthew eleven twenty-eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in my souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are so many promises within that that we as believers can anchor to. But look at the simplicity of Jesus' promise here. Jesus doesn't offer us a fourfold path to peace, giving enlightenment like Buddha does. He doesn't give us five pillars of peace through submission as Islam does, nor does he give us ten ways to revive your weariness as those of us who are in the 21st century and we're stuck in this self Help-oriented society, this world that says you can help yourself just do these 10 things. You can jump on YouTube or Facebook or any other platform and there will be a thousand ways to help yourself. God doesn't give us a list. Jesus simply offers himself as the universal solution to all that burdens us. He simply says, come unto me. Come unto me. There's no time frame. There's no limit. There's no caveats. There's no fine print. There's no no use by date. He simply says, God shows us across Scripture that He is a God who provides. He also shows us across Scripture that He desires to be involved in our problems, in our lives, in the mundane, and in the details. So where are you at this morning? Is God saying, come? Are you listening Are you willing to exalt him higher than your problem? Are you willing to humble yourself and come before him? Do you understand that you can come before him boldly because you are a child of God? And do you understand that you can come to him whenever and you will never exhaust him? 
God says, come. In our time of need, acknowledge who God is. Have a right perspective of God. In our time of need, come before him holy, but check your heart. Make sure your heart is in the right place. In our time of need, come before him boldly as a child of God. And come before him often. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Father, we are so quick to look first at our problem and then, Father, come to you, but, Father, we don't exalt you. We don't acknowledge you for who you are. And so, Father, this morning, Father, this morning I desire just to to glorify you. The God who created all things. That the God who knows the beginning from the end and nothing in between catches him by surprise. The God who loves us with an infinite love and who desires to pour that love and your grace and your mercy on us beyond what we can imagine. The God who knows the farthest star from this earth in intricate detail and in the same moment knows my very thoughts. Lord, you love us and you call for us to come. So Father, this morning we are grateful for who you are. We're grateful for the work that you continue to do us and in this body. And Father, this morning I pray that each of us would desire nothing more than to lift you higher with our lives. For you are good. In your name, amen.